Hey, before we get rolling, I just want to thank Diana for supporting Ontario Loud on Patreon. People like Diana are awesome people who hear something they like and go, not only do I like this, but I want to help make it even better. Patreon donations have allowed us to attract volunteers to teach us about sound engineering and social media. It's also helped expand the reach of this pod and it helped us get better equipment to keep this thing sounding sharp. So if you like Ontario Loud, head to patreon.com slash Ontario Loud or OntarioLoud.ca and sign up today. We have a long way to go to make it easy and accessible and appealing and inviting for people to participate in the Ontario Liberal Party. So our campaign is doing our best. We are every single day having conversations with people about how to get involved. If you want to choose the next leader of the party and premier of Ontario, this is the time. You've got a month. You need to get involved right now. And we are here to help you. We have to open up our processes. Welcome back to Ontario Lab, a podcast about politics, public policy, and current affairs, how to between recovering political staff right here in Ontario. I'm Chris Martin, and today we are kicking off our coverage of the Ontario Liberal Leadership Race uh, by sitting down with <laughs> Liberal Leadership candidate and friend of the pod, Kate Graham. Kate, welcome. Good morning. Thanks for having me back on. Listeners of the pod will uh, have heard Kate before. Uh, she was recently on our episode about Justin Trudeau's record on gender equity and gender in federal policy. She announced her run like the day before we recorded <laughs> that episode. You uh, had to change up the intro real fast. Exactly. Dropping uh, <laughs> some news hot, but you know, that was, uh, it was a pleasure for us to have her sort of in that moment. And now we are in the thick of it. Yeah, so your campaign is in full swing. You've received some major endorsements from people like Deb Matthews, Eleanor McMahon, I noticed on your website, and you've recently been in Toronto launching some policy. Indeed. Yeah, we've been having uh, our first rally events of the campaign. We had one in London last week, uh, one in Toronto last night. We're headed to Ottawa and then up north from there. And it's been amazing. That's awesome. Well, I, I had the pleasure to go to your one last night, and yeah, thank it was, you for coming. Oh my god, it was it was a room full of like super fired up. It was people. really fun. <laughs> um, and so, I'm really excited to see how this this rolls out. I want to start maybe a little bit with your yourself and your decision to get into the race. Um, what kind of led you to this moment? Uh, from a person, you know, you ran for an MPP. Uh, obviously, a really tough election yep. for everyone. <laughs> Lots of uh, liberals did not. Every uh, new candidate lost. Yeah, exactly. Um, Most of the caucus lost. Yes. But uh, you know, what made you think that you know, like you know, what I should be the one to carry the party into the next election? Sure. Uh, so this has not been you know a long time plan for me, where it was like this is the moment. But I will say, so I I ran in the election in 2018, had a fantastic experience, uh, despite it being a tough race knocked on tens of thousands of doors, and heard a lot about things that people wanted to see change. And yes, some of it was about the Ontario Liberal Party, but some of it was about politics in general. And so coming off that election, and then seeing this opportunity that we have right now, and I, I really believe that we're in a moment that probably won't come along again for another three or four decades, uh, we hope. So a very difficult election result, followed by a leadership race in the context that we're in, you know, people voted for change, but they, I don't think they like the change they got. So we have an amazing opportunity as a party to think big about who we are and what we care about, um, to extend an invitation to people to get involved. People like building things. So we have a really once in a generation opportunity as a party to uh, rethink even what a political party is, what we stand for to get new people involved. And I believe I can play a big role in that. So this seems like a political moment to me where people are pretty cynical and you're you're sort of picking up on that. But one thing that I look at your campaign is it's a lot of your materials are sort of based in a belief in sort of like an inherently like people like building things is a is a line that you've sort of gone back to. And I'm curious like what 
what's the sauce do you think like changing this sort of deep cynicism? What's giving you this sort of different perspective on this moment? So there are some things that I fundamentally believe to be true about people. And so if I can use an example from my own neighborhood. So there was an explosion in Oldies Village in London, where I live, uh, about a month ago. And we had hundreds of families evacuated. A few families lost their home. And when there was an invitation extended out to people to say, hey, we've got some neighbors in need. We need you to step forward. Oh my goodness, did they step forward. It was an almost overwhelming volume of donations and food and people saying, I can take care of your cat or I can look after your kids and help them get to school the next morning or whatever. People step up for one another to solve problems. When I look at politics today, I don't see that happening. I see people turned off. You know, in the last election, we often give this stat, but more people didn't vote than supported any party or leader. Uh, People find it quite distasteful, but I don't think that changes the fundamental truth that people care about each other. They want to be a part of things that uh, benefit the people around them. And politics should be an opportunity to do that. But if it's turning people off right now, then we have to change it. You have a campaign that sort of uh, has currently placed itself on the concept of well-being. It's uh, something you've rolled Mm -hmm. out recently. And you released a document sort of outlining four pillars of what well-being means in the context of, I guess, a Kate Graham government. It was kind of an interesting approach for me because it starts off with sort of like a here's more philosophical statement of what well-being means in terms of empowering Ontarians where they live, creating uh, meaningful jobs, moving to carbon neutrality and affordability. So you have sort of four planks in that. And then it moves sort of to like how you're going to measure those two things. There's a couple metrics in each one. It seems to kind of be sort of a, here's our high-level philosophy, and then it goes right to sort of metrics. And I'm curious sort of like, why this particular approach? What are you hoping to achieve with it? And maybe like, give me an example of how a Graham government would apply this framework to maybe evaluation of a policy file. Sure. Um, So just as a starting point, I think uh, sometimes we lose people in politics because the way that we talk about issues is really confusing. Uh, sometimes it's billions of dollars of investment and it's kind of like scattershot policy making, you know, here's an idea and here's an idea. And it's not always clear how they fit together. So for me and for everyone who's come forward to be a part of our campaign, politics is about people and solving problems. It's that simple. So our campaign is not focused on, you know, the politics or partisanship or division. It's focused on real problems that people face and supporting their well-being. Government is in the quality of life business. So we need to understand, you know, what does the well-being of Ontarians look like? What are the things that are getting in the way of people living an amazing, happy, and healthy life in this province? And what can we collectively do to solve those things? So we decided to start at the top instead of, here's an idea and here's an idea. Start with the big vision about people and their well-being, then talk about four things that we think we need to focus on right now. So making Ontario carbon neutral, for example, that is urgent, right? That needs to be a priority right now. It's something that's affecting well-being today and will increasingly affect our well-being. So we have to get really serious about that. And I'm a big believer that what gets measured gets managed. To use an old sort of business truism, but we need to be clear about if we are serious about addressing something like climate change, uh, we need to be talking and actively measuring uh, how we are doing to show that we are making progress. So that's why we decided to start with a big vision, a set of priorities and problems we want to focus on. And then some clearly articulated ways that we will measure and know that we're making progress. One of the specific policies that you released in Toronto last night, and I think it is your first sort of specific policy proposal, if I'm not if yes. I'm not mistaken, yep. is green transit, uh, including mm-hmm. using the gas tax to finance. I was so excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> so you can probably tell last night when that part of the speech came up, I was like, 
I feel like I'm like bouncing up, up here. I just <laughs> want to get talking about transit. Absolutely. So uh, part of it is using the gas tax to finance an $800 million increase in transit investment to municipalities. So why transit first and how does it play in sort of that broader vision that you are uh, just sort of walked us through? Mm-hmm. So we, uh, you well articulated the four things that four priorities that we need to focus on right now. For me, this is a winner on all of them. So it is about the economy. It is about climate. It is about people's affordability. Um, so to give you an example, so I worked 10 years at the city of London and one of the, the files that I was working on was about transit in our community. London is the largest community in Canada without a rapid transit system. And we needed a provincial partner to be able to support investing in transit in our city. I really like um, mechanisms like the gas tax because it's discretionary money that municipalities can use to solve the problems that they face. And so what we announced last night was tripling that transfer so that municipalities have more money to invest in their transit system and a real focus on cleaner, greener transit systems as well. So it's, it's something that I think is a very every single day well-being kind of issue if we want happy, healthy Ontarians, uh, making sure that people have easy, convenient affordable ways to get around, it's really important. So I was really happy that we were starting there and laying out some big ideas on how we could really move that mark forward. Transit is, uh, is something that I think uh, speaks to people in different ways across the province. In episodes that we've had about it, we've tended to uh, focus on what the provincial government is doing right now, which seems like pretty Toronto-centric. I noticed part of your plan is, A, it seems to be devolving a lot of decision-making power to municipalities, and B, it has a couple targeted investments in uh, specific provincial funds that are about promoting transit in rural and remote areas. So I'm curious why this approach over, say, battling out with John Tory uh, over, <laughs> you know, transit planning. In the yeah, GTA. that wasn't in our plan. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if we could just go back to the connecting communities part, and I know yeah. I'm, I kind of rage on Twitter about this periodically, because so for I live in London. Uh, I'm in Toronto a fair bit, just like many of the two and a half million people who live in southwestern Ontario are. Uh, an event like last night, which went to 9 p.m., means that there is no public transit option for me to get home except for a Greyhound bus that gets me home at 1.45 in the morning. So if you have something the next morning at 6 or 7 in the morning, there is no way that you are going to get on a bus, although I, I do it with a fair bit of frequency. And that's when my ragey tweets come out. Um, <laughs> but that's the only option. And so you sit there on this bus watching yeah. single occupant vehicle after single occupant vehicle barrel down the 401, knowing that that is a major expense for a lot of families, knowing that that is not a happy, healthy experience for most people. And also knowing that it's one of people's leading contributors to uh, the climate crisis. And they're doing it because they have no other choice. So we can do better as a province. We have to do better. And so connecting communities and being able to allocate funds to municipalities who are well aware of what those problems are, they know what is needed, and to be able to be building transit systems faster, I think is a smart approach that I would like to see even before the next election, as soon as possible, this needs to happen. If there's somebody who's like taking the subway and is sort of seeing one of the features of the, the current government's um, GTA specific transit plans is they've had a tendency to sort of go in and ask the sort of municipal planners to, to redraw the plans that they have made, which obviously introduces years-long delays into the process. Do you have any sort of prescriptions for you know the many people who take transit in the GTA who might look at your plan and be like, hold on, I'm seeing, how is this going to affect me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, I mean, for sure, the integration of these services and 
at what scale do we plan what kinds of transit? Those are things we should be talking about, not waiting till 2022, like right now. Again, another example. So this summer, I had the opportunity to go and visit a number of European cities on my honeymoon. And it was amazing to see, you know, there were communities where on one app on my phone, I could get around an entire city, sometimes multiple cities. I could hop onto a bike that, by the way, had a GPS and I could say, Here, here's the Airbnb I'm staying at. It would take me there. That same app could get me on a boat or a ferry, could get me on a, to the airport. It could get me on a subway. We have nothing like that in Canada, right? I could open my wallet right now and show you little tickets for all of the different systems across the country for cities that we happen to be in. Uh, we have a long way to go around making this seamless and integrated for people. And I think that does mean that we need to look at who is making decisions on what, uh, how do we integrate the planning of transit and the implementation of transit. We have made progress for sure, right? There are more transit options today than ever before in Ontario, but we've got a long way to go to catch up to other cities that uh, are leading the way. And it's not rocket science, right? There are lots of examples of places that are doing this better than we are. We just need to learn from them. So I want to shift a little bit maybe to the leadership process itself. One of the things that I think is just an observation that we've made on this podcast a couple of times is it's a pretty difficult process for someone jumping in at the point of the race that, 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 <laughs> really? you, that you have. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, um, and so, I mean, given the fact that, uh, you know, we're recording this the first week of November, we're about a month mm-hmm. away from when the membership cutoff date is going to be. And I think the, there's only going to be really one debate. Uh, or one gathering of the leadership candidates mm-hmm. that is and not, going, a, and not a debate. No, yeah, not a uh, debate. Sort of a candidate showcase yes. prior to prior to the you know when you need to be a yeah, member to actually yeah. vote in this. What do you think your path to victory is? Because uh, given an environment where you know signing up a whole ton of new members, all of your new members are going to need to come in the next sort of thirty days ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we our campaign we are uh, certainly very focused on connecting with the existing liberal base, uh, but we are also very interested in drawing new people in. And as you have well articulated, it is a real challenge because the process is so confusing. So I had a conversation recently with someone. Uh, she is 14 years old. She is interested in being a part of this and just explaining that, you know, you need to become a member and then run as a delegate. You need to get other members out to vote for you. Then you're going to go to a convention. Uh, and when I said the word convention, uh, she, she'd never heard the word delegate or convention in this context. And she said, convention like NAFTA? <laughs> and, I, and I was like, that is so sweet. And also, no, <laughs> very different kind of convention. So the process is not obvious to people. And so we have a long way to go to make it easy and accessible and appealing and inviting for people to participate in the Ontario Liberal Party. So our campaign is doing our best. We are, again, every single day having conversations with people about how to get involved. If you want to choose the next leader of the party and premier of Ontario, this is the time. You've got a month. You need to get involved right now, and we are here to help you. We are doing cool training things for people who are coming on as delegates and so on. I suspect uh, all of the campaigns are, but we really need to think about this as a party. You know, if we want to be the place where people can very easily find their home, if there are things that you care about, we need you to get involved in the party. We have to open up our processes. Okay, Graham, thank you for coming on Ontario Loud. It's a pleasure to have you back again. Hey, thanks and, anytime. Uh, best of luck uh, in the months ahead. Thank you very much, Chris. And that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening. I want to thank Kate Graham for coming on the show. This is our second leadership interview, and we're having so much fun with them. You can listen to Alvin Tejo on Universal Child Care a couple weeks back. Next week, we will have Mitzi Hunter to talk education. Michael Cotto is coming on in December, and we are still waiting on confirmation from Tim Del Duca, but we hope to get that in before the year is out. 
Team Del Duca, our podcast is here. Like John Cusack with the boombox outside the proverbial window of your campaign, you can come on to Ontario Loud and say anything. Too much? Sorry, not sorry. One more thing. The night before we released this episode, Michael Cotto released his plan for free transit. It is a very different proposal from Kate Graham to subsidize transit for everyone in the province, and definitely want to ask Michael about that. Kate has responded to this on Twitter, and I'm looking forward to the two camps going back and forth on this policy. It's going to be a fun race. We're going to be covering it. And if you want to get the best coverage, if you want to hear all the hot takes and hear all the candidates, keep listening to Ontario Lab.